Joshua 20, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills any person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Verse 7, So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Araba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who sojourned among them, that whoever killed any person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So the last time that we were together, we saw the remainder of the land of Canaan divided up amongst the children of Israel. And Joshua, lastly, finally gets his share. As the leader, he blesses the people first, and then he takes his share at the end. Tonight, we're going to look at the Levitical cities and the cities of refuge, which were contained in the Levitical cities, and the spiritual implications. Uh, I hope that everybody got their handout for the cities of refuge, because even afterwards, when you read it, they're in the back on the chair. Um, you, you can get a better understanding of those cities of refuge. Now, this is pretty amazing because you see early examples of due process of law in the judicial system. And the funny thing is we look at our system of government, we look at a lot of our systems and think that, you know, we were always around as the United States of America. But what we have to realize is many civilizations came and went before us. And God in his word predates the earliest civilizations and he provides for due process of law in the judicial system. We're going to talk about that. But well, we see right away that this, these people who flee for safety into these cities of refuge, uh, it's only for accidental or unintentional deaths. And we're going to hit this heavy from a lot of different angles. I want to turn your attention to Genesis 9, only three verses, 5 through 7, Genesis 9. It says, Surely... For your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by, his, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply on it. So you see, when Noah got off the ark and he establishes you know, population again. Uh, there's rules that are set up, rules set up for human government. 
and one of the rules was to prov a provision for capital punishment. Numbers 35, just a few of these. Numbers 35, 33 through 34. God says, so you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So God was very serious about somebody who killed someone. You know, um, If there was a life that was going to be taken, it was going to be God that took it. Uh, or somebody would die of natural causes as a result of sin. But God was very, we, God was very uh, disturbed by a man shedding another man's blood. Ecclesiastes 3.3, 3, I just remember that one. Uh, he says, there's a time to, to kill and there's a time to heal. And Deuteronomy 19.13, the last one. Talking about the person who's uh, delivered up. Uh, the person who's a murderer, in verse 13 it says, Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. So, the person, okay, I started off with the guy who flees to the city of refuge, okay, accident. Now, the last few verses, starting with Genesis 9, have to do with intentional killings, and I have to show you the difference. The last verse in Deuteronomy 19, it says that a man who takes another man's life, his life shall be taken. He says, don't even pity him. Just like, remember, was it Jeremiah? Uh, he said to the, he said, yeah, I think it was Jeremiah. He says, don't even take a lamentation up for these people. They're so far gone that don't even, you know, don't even pray for them. Don't even take a, a lamentation. They're just, you know, they're just past that point at this point. So, so I just want to explain capital punishment. Um, really, it comes from the scripture. We wonder why we have it in our society, in a lot of societies. Again, it comes back to uh, God's word spoke about that. And I think we've actually gone too far in this country with protecting the killers and we forgot to protect the victims. <laughs> Obviously, you would expect that coming from a law enforcement background. But, uh, you know, you, you look at um, just a lot of the things that are going on now, um, how, how vile crimes are. Uh, I look at, the, you know, the, the Internet and just see basically what's going on around the world. And the way people are killing each other now, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean... It's just unreal. Uh, not that killing is good to begin with, but the new creative ways people are, are designing to torture each other and kill them, um, it's, just, it's just gotten out of control. The Europe, uh, European countries and many other Western countries have abolished the death penalty because they know better than God. Of course, I'm being facetious. Uh, you know, we, we have to have a better society. It's not right. You know, just because somebody killed, we can't kill in response to that. What they're basically saying is God doesn't know what he's talking about. We're, we're more loving than God. We're more caring than God is. The results are organized uh, crime hits from inside prison, terrorist activity inside the prisons. They're actually recruiting inside the prisons. So when they get out, you have new recruits for, uh, you know, terrorists. Um, gangs. Uh, I actually see, as a, again, a police officer watching the videos, we get training videos, and you see in the prisons, uh, gangs, they, they teach each other and they practice out in the yards how to disarm police officers so that when they are let out, they could kill a cop. So this is what's going on because 
in these maximum security prisons because we've gotten very soft on what God says we should do. This is a cancer, it needs to be eradicated, and we've gotten away from that. Now, I'm getting to what it says in the New Testament, so I, I know that's the question before you even ask. So let's talk about the New Testament. Three scriptures I want to hit on. Romans 13, written by the Apostle Paul, verses 1 through 5. Paul says this, Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now don't get caught up on the anachronism. He says they don't bear the sword in vain. Well, now... We have automatics, uh, so it's the same principle. You get the point. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law of Moses, but I came to fulfill it. And there's a huge difference between eradicating what Moses did, which he was accused of, and fulfilling it. Okay, And we, we've covered that in Luke and also Matthew. But the death penalty was established to show men how serious God was when a man would take another man's life. And of course, women taking a man's life, a man taking a woman's life, you get the picture. Similar to the annihilation of the Canaanites through war, the death penalty was a picture of the annihilation of sin. Uh, the murderer was dealt with decisively. Left unchecked, they would be a cancer to society. Same principle with the Canaanites. God said to wipe them out. We have a lot of problems with some of God's word because uh, you know, we live in a, like, I guess, quote, civilized society. And uh, some of these things are hard to understand. But again, a lot of these things are types, right? And God knows better than we know. So we just have to trust that what he says is true. Now, there's a proviso, again, for not killing the innocent man. Let me come back to that. I'm going to read um, how Wearsby sums it up. He actually does a pretty good job. So instead of stealing his uh, information, I'll just re refer to him. He says the six cities of refuge were needed because society in that day had no police force to investigate crimes. It was the responsibility of each family to see to it that murders were avenged. But how could they tell whether it was a case of premeditated murder or accidental manslaughter? In heat of anger, a relative of the dead person might kill somebody who was really innocent of a capital crime. So, how should we feel about killing as Christians? How should we feel about war? How should we feel about capital punishment? And if you ask a, a thousand Christians, you'll probably get a few different answers. On an individual level, Jesus told us, and here's, how, here's where it, I'm going to make it make sense. You have your individual level, and then you have your level as a society, right? On an individual level, we're to love our enemies as Christians. We're to turn the other cheek. The Bible's clear about that. We're to forgive. I did prison ministry. Police officer going into the prison and telling people about Jesus. You know, So on an individual level, we're to love people. We're to show the love of Christ. We're to forgive. We're to um, try to look at everyone as salvageable. You know, Because God looks at everyone as salvageable. The son of Sam, David Berkowitz, for years, he's been a Christian. You know, The son of Sam killings. We 
murdered six, six people back, I don't know, in the 70s. My, my memory's fuzzy on that, but in prison he found the Lord. And he says, I don't even want to get out of here. I deserve to be here. And he has a whole ministry to other min- inmates. So God saved him, where a lot of people would have looked at him and said, ah, he's a killer, let him, let him die. So on an individual level, we're to love people. But at the same time, we're, allow, we're to allow government to pursue justice, because the Bible says it even in the, in the New Testament. We're allow government to allow government to pursue justice. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's a provision for justice. And the reason for that is punishment. It's clear. Uh, it, you know, God designed it for punishment. Two is a deterrent. If, if society showed that you were thinking of something, doing something like this, and because of God's law, there was going to be swift justice, there would be a deterrent. Now we have endless appeals and all kinds of other stuff, so there's a, a clog in the court systems. Uh, it was to prevent anarchy, because even a, a not a good government, and a, no government's perfect, even our government. It's one of the better ones, but it's run by sinful men, right? So it's not perfect, but God would prefer government and keeping the peace and allowing us to assemble here without robbers coming in, bursting the door down, than anarchy. Years ago, was it uh, decades ago, Mad Max, remember? Mel Gibson's first movies, the Mad Max movies? It was anarchy. You know, he drove around and it was at the AMX, <laughs> you know, with the guns and, you know, it was crazy. Everybody looked like, well, you know, mosh pit people and all, but, you know, government, <laughs> government is here to prevent anarchy. Um, and also vigilantism on the other end of the extreme. These laws and these rules for punishment are designed to keep the families from saying, the government's not doing anything. I'm going to take the matter into my own hands. Vigilantism is just as bad as anarchy. It is anarchy, but on the other side of the spectrum. So that's what these things were designed to do. Now, some may say, well, that's contradictory. No, it's not. I can love people as individuals, but I could also support my government when it protects me when it protects society and when it uh, meets out justice on somebody so they don't get out and do it to another family. It could have been prevented. So now we can kind of take it in a nutshell and, and, and separate the two and, and make it explainable. So here's the scenario. One day I'm holding the ladder. Okay, I live in, in the land of Israel. I'm holding the ladder for my neighbor. Um, he's working on my house. He falls off the roof. He falls off the ladder and he dies because I didn't do a good job, right? And my response is, "Uh uh-oh, his family's not going to be very happy with me. So what do I do? I run to a city of refuge to escape any vigilantism by a grieving relative. I state my case when I enter the city, okay, according to the scripture. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I don't see the family behind me. I get to the gates of the city. I get there. Like, what's your hurry? Well, I was holding this ladder for this guy. He was my neighbor. He fell off the ladder. He hit his head. He died. And the family, I'm I'm just afraid. Can, Can you harbor me? The scenario. They say, no problem. We'll harbor you until a full investigation is done, according to the scripture. Now, if I hated him prior, had premeditation, and found that I did it intentionally and pushed the ladder so he'd fall and hit his head, I rightly get the death penalty. They don't, they don't spare me because I did it uh, with malice in my heart. Now, you kind of see the difference, uh, and you can see it in our New Jersey penal code. It's kind of cool how I get to mix both worlds here. New Jersey Penal Code 2C colon 11 is the murder statute. If any of you have any, any uh, familiarity with New Jersey law, you have criminal homicide, and that's divided up into murder, manslaughter, vehicular homicide, and also there's a, a separate statute for aiding suicide, according to New Jersey law. 
There are different degrees of punishment, indictable crimes, first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree, right? Obviously, the first degree crime carries the biggest penalties. But there are different degrees in New Jersey Penal Code based on premeditation, knowingly, purposefully, negligently, all these legalese words that are used. So even in our society today, we've taken from the best, from, you know, from the best, we've taken Judeo-Christian values and we've molded them into our society, right? Interesting stuff. Or at least I find it interesting. Now, going back to the incident with the latter, if they found that I didn't hate him prior and it was an accident, I'm exonerated of all the charges, okay? And I deserve protection from that city of refuge. However, if his family somehow, I wander out of the city and they take my life, they're tried as murderers because I'm supposed to be protected because I did it by accident. And there's an overriding factor to all this is, number one, they find that I did it by accident, I'm protected. Number two, the high priest dies, according to the scripture. The high priest dies, I get to, to leave the city, go back home, and get the full protection under law. Right? And we're going to talk about the how, where, what, that, what does that mean? It doesn't make any sense, but we're going to make sense out of it. Deuteronomy 19.3, or 9.3, no, 19.3. Deuteronomy 19.3, you don't have to turn there. But they say, or God's law said that he even wanted the roads marked so that the person fleeing would know exactly where they were going and they didn't get lost. So God was concerned that the poor guy, if he didn't do it, was able to find the city with the road markers, Right? It's amazing how God provides for everything. Now, if you want, you could take a look at your handouts and you could see, again, a little bit about the cities of refuge. Um, you, see the, you see them marked out. And there's a little uh, explanation about each city. And, uh, you know, it, it, they're pretty much spread out. And I did a little messing around with the map. And um, what it shows is that you basically weren't from any of these cities, if you were in the land of Israel, you weren't further than about 20, 25 miles from any of these cities. So God spread them out. So even if you weren't in great shape, you could still make it to the city <laughs> pretty, pretty, you know, on a donkey or whatever you were doing. And it wasn't a very long trek. So 20, back then, people were in far better shape than us. So 20, 25 miles wasn't bad. <laughs> and that was the furthest you had to go. Verse 7 and 8. I want you to... Look at the names of these cities of refuge and see Christ typified and how we run into Christ as our refuge. And you can turn to Hebrews 6.18 later, but he does speak about running to Christ as our city of refuge. Um, the anonymous author, some people, many people believe it was Paul. Let me just go through these one by one, the names, and see what they mean. And you can see it's pretty interesting. The first one is Kadesh. That means in the Hebrew, sacred place or holiness or righteousness. If you, if you look at that in light of Christ, what it shows us is that his character is holy and righteous, and through him, by his blood, we become holy and righteous. Right? The second one is Shechem, which means shoulder or strength. The way I see that is a reliance on him because he is able to deliver. He's our strength. The third one, Hebron, firm, formerly Kirjath Arba, Hebron means alliance or fellowship. That's an easy one. We have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Bezer means fortress or safety. Fulfillment of the rock, the strong tower in the Old Testament, 
And basically, we have safety in the arms of Jesus. We speak a lot about safety and security in the arms of Jesus. We speak about him receiving us. Well done, thy good and faithful servants. We, we get a picture of being greeted by the Lord. And at, when we go into uh, Acts on Sunday, the, the last part of Acts 7, we'll see how Jesus stands up to receive Stephen. Pretty wild. I mean, it kind of gives you chills. Uh, the, the other one, the next one, Golan. And they're unsure, Hebrew scholars are unsure of the meaning exactly, but it could mean one of, and this is really, talk about a pool of, of words, it could mean circuit, happiness, or exile. Well, we're going to ditch the circuit, okay, and we're going to go with happiness and exile. We're exiled because of sin, but we find happiness when we're delivered from sin through Jesus Christ. And then the last one, Ramath, means high place or uplifting. Uplifting emotionally, spiritually, you name it. And I look at that as when you're down emotionally, and listen, we all go through this. We all have feelings. God has made us, we're feeling people. We love, we hate, we have jealousy, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes our emotions don't kind of kick in right. You know, they, we're having a bad day or whatever. So it just shows that even when we're down emotionally or we're having trouble spiritually, God is uplifting. He lifts us up. When I'm having a hard time, I, I have to remember the promises that God's made to me. I have to remember the promises in the Bible. And I have to say to myself, okay, regardless of how I'm feeling right now, I know God's word to be true. It's amazing how God's word is always an, an anchor to us. You know, it always grounds us, right? Verse 9. We see in verse 9 that the protection was even available to the stranger sojourning in Israel. Um, I believe that that looks forward to Gentile inclusion. And as a matter of fact, when we go through the scripture, it's amazing how in the first century the Jews seemed to be exclusive. But if you look all throughout the scripture, the prophets, you know, right, right in, in, in the first five books, God always provided for the Gentiles. He always provided for inclusion. Uh, he always wanted them to come into the fold. As a matter of fact, we see Gentiles in the line of the Messiah. So God was never exclusionary. He just wanted his people to be a light to the rest of the world. If you look at where Israel is situated on the map, the, the known world back then, really, Israel was right in the center. And God said to his people, he wanted them to be that light, you know, to, to show the, the pagans and the polytheists the one true God. That's what he wanted. And it broke his heart when his people didn't fulfill that. So, a few more points on this one. The high priest died. Let's come back to that. The person was allowed to return home and be protected under the law. See, I look at this too as Jesus is the high priest. He is our high priest. Hebrews tells us that. It's no secret. Uh, and when Jesus died, we were all set free from the bondage of sin. Those who believed, of course. So, when our high priest died, we could go wherever we want and we had the full protection of him. Right? The six cities of refuge made up part of the 48 total Levitical cities, and we see that in Numbers 35. The larger tribes contributed more cities than the smaller tribes. And the cities of refuge, the last part before we go into uh, the next chapter, is the cities of refuge were another picture of the scarlet cord of redemption. And what do I mean by that? Again, types in the Old Testament, they pointed to the New Testament, they pointed to Jesus. In other words, case in point, Rahab's cord. When the children of Israel were, were com coming in to attack the city, uh, she, uh, Joshua, was it, sorry, Caleb, uh, they said to her, you, you got to put this red cord out the window, and when the advancing Israelite army see that red cord, they'll, they'll spare everyone who's in that home. 
So you see that scarlet cord of redemption. You see the, the typification of the blood of Jesus. Um, the Passover, same thing. You put the, the, the um, thing in the, in the blood and you paint it on the door. And the, uh, the, when death was come, coming to all these houses, when they saw that, they knew that those people were believers in God and the death would pass over that house. And that's why they call the Passover to continue to the other house. Again, you see the blood. You see the blood in the sacrifices in the Old Testament. The blood sprinkled before the mercy seat. You know, God would see it. He would accept the sacrifice and cover the sins of the people. And then, of course, all those things pointed to the blood of Jesus. Uh, so the cities of refuge, you see there's a shedding of blood in a sense. Uh, and you see also the city of refuge as a, a typification of Jesus to protect these people. Now, I talk about types a lot and, and precursors. Um, I don't get crazy about types, and you can say, well, I see a type in this, and I can see a type of that. You could see uh, the flood of Noah, where the people were saved through the boat as a type of the rapture, and there's a lot of types. Some people get, again, crazy on types, and I say that you can see a lot of it. You can see a lot of pointing to Jesus, but um, it's certainly some of this stuff is open to discussion. Before being saved, we had an ignorance to understand sin, but it still demanded punishment. Chapter 21, moving on. Chapter 21, we're going to see the divvying up of the lands used by the priests. Uh, you had the sons of Levi. Remember, you had uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 boys, and they became the 12 patriarchs. One of the boys was Levi. <laughs> every, every talk about, there's a joke about Levi's genes, and his genes was the priests. But uh, it's old. <laughs> I just saw it, and I just thought of that. Sorry. Anyway, Levi, and it was genetic, Levi's sons can only be priests, all right? And that's where the priests came from. He had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And we'll see their lineage in the scriptures and, and what their uh, responsibilities were. So verse 1. Now the heads of the fathers of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance, at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron the priest, who were of the Levites, had thirteen cities by lot from the tribe of Judah from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had thirteen cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. Okay. I want to try to, because this confused me a lot with this whole priest things and Aaron and the Levites. Okay, so you got Levi, one of the sons of Jacob. Through his lineage, eventually you saw Moses and Aaron, right? Uh, Moses, of course, was the deliverer. His brother Aaron was chosen to be his spokesperson. But God chose Aaron and the sons of Aaron to be the actual priests that performed the sacrifices. But anybody from below Levi, okay, in his genealogy, had something to do with the uh, spiritual process of the children of Israel. Understand that? Only the sons of Aaron, though, could be priests. 
Okay, that, that being said, uh, verse 2 I want to focus on. I just want to pull some things out of here. We talked about how the Levi, uh, tribe of Levi didn't get land, but everyone else did. But here it seems to be a, um, a contradiction where it says, well, they're getting land for their livestock and all. What it is here is that Levites didn't become landowners. However, they had to live somewhere. So they gave them like cities and pieces of land that their livestock could eat, you know, dwell in and graze, but they couldn't actually own the land and they couldn't sell the land where the other tribes could. So that's where the, there's no discrepancy there. The more you get into the scripture, the more you see God's word has no discrepancies. So they, they only use the land to survive. And I, I, I couldn't help but think about ministry and drawing a pa- parallel in ministry. I'm grieved, I'm so grieved that in ministry today you see people that are trying to get rich off the gospel. And God never designed that, even back into the Old Testament. These people, their inheritance was God, and that should have been good enough. Okay, So if, if I want to become a pastor and I want that to be my career, if I want to be rich, then I shouldn't be a pastor. I should find something else to do. I just, all throughout the scripture, I have a problem with men of God getting rich off of the gospel. Now, would I say that a man, okay, let, I don't want to be legalistic. If a man owned his own business and he was wealthy and God called him to be a pastor, would I have an issue with that? No. But your average guy who goes into the ministry for the sole purpose or while he's there saying, well, I can make a lot of money doing this. My fellowship's really growing. And he becomes, you know, you see me driving around in a Ferrari in five years. That's a problem. You know what I'm saying? I, I just have an issue with that. So, you know, I, I think it goes way back to the Old Testament. That being said, the Le- Levitical cities were scattered throughout Israel. And the reason for that would, was because they were to be the teachers of God's law and they were to be the teachers of God's nature to all the people of Israel. So no one had an excuse. No matter where you are in the land of Israel, there was a Levite somewhere who could help you. Right? Numbers 26 said there was 23,000 priests to be distributed throughout all these cities. And again, priests back in the Old Testament, get out of your head priests today because it's night and day. As a matter of fact, the priesthood today, whether it's Catholicism or Mormonism, does not follow the Old Testament. Number one, the priests had to have families because you couldn't be a priest unless your father was a priest, right? So if you don't have children and you don't have families, you can't be a priest. And it's just... There's just so many things that just the priesthood today, just get it out of your head. It's, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's, it's just true, you know. Verse 8. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities which are mentioned here by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And then they gave them Kirjath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, which is Hebron, and the mountains of Judah, which the common land surrounding it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. Thus to the children of Aaron, the priest, they gave Hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Libnah with its common land, Jatir, which is common land, Eshtemoah with its common land, Holon with its common land, Debir with its common land, Ain with its common land, Jatah with its common land, and Beth Shemesh with its common land. Nine cities 
from these two tribes. And you're going to see, as they go through the different areas, uh, they're going to, he's going to specifically lay out which was a city of refuge. And from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, Anathoth with its common land, and Ammon, Almon with its common land, four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities with their common lands. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer, Gezer with its common land, Kibzam with its common land, and Beth Horon with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Dan, Eltekeh with its common land, Gibbethon with its common land, Ijalon with its common land, and Gathrimon with its common land, four cities. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its common land, and Gath-Rimon with its common land, two cities. All the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. Kohath means assembly. Remember, one of the sons. These guys, and again, they had some things that were peculiar to their tribe that they got to do. The Kohathites had special charge of the sacred instruments. You can find that in Numbers 4, 15 through 20. They were also musicians, and some were warriors in David's army. The sons of Korah, which was a descendant of Kohath, apparently wrote Psalm 42. If you look up Psalm 42, you can see that. Now, one real blemish in the, in the uh, Korahites was a nasty rebellion that they led. Uh, in Numbers 16, 1 through 35, and you could also see it in Jude 11 referenced, or Jude, Jude 1, 11, these Kohathites challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron. And the, you know, they were, definitely was pride involved there. Definitely was, you know, why does Moses and Aaron have to get all this stuff? You know, maybe God's made us. He could put us in the forefront. So they challenged Moses and Aaron. And what happened was the earth opened up and swallowed them. <laughs> and that was the end for most of them. So uh, back in those days, you certainly didn't want to t- test God if he said, if God said, this, this person's a leader, and I've chosen this person to be a leader, you didn't, you didn't mess with them. Even Moses and Aaron, their own sister Miriam, challenged their authority, and she got leprosy. So, and, and, and they were blood. So you didn't mess with the leaders back then. This is a great scripture that I can use if anybody gets on my nerves. I could say, listen, you saw what happened to the Kohathites. Watch your step. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Verse 27. And to the children of Gershon, of the family of the Levites, from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. And B, Eshterah, with its common land, two cities. And from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its common land, Dabrath with its common land, Jarmuth with its common land, and Enganim with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Asher, Mishael with its common land, Abdon with its common land, Helkath with its common land, and Rehob with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Hamath-dor with its common land, and Kartan with its common land, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their common lands. I'm trying to make this a little, a little exciting by just giving you the highlights of these different subgroups of the Levites um, so that, you know, it's, you can just see something interesting. 
Gershon means exile. These guys were tabernacle servants, Numbers 3, 25 through 26. They were involved with transportation of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, 1 Chronicles 15, and that was big when they did that. That was a joyous occasion when they could finally take it into Jerusalem, the city of, you know, God's city that they had. It must have been such a, you know, we, we look at, we read the scripture and we, we just kind of gloss over it sometimes, but the, the children of Israel must have had so much excitement when that happened. I think, wasn't that the time when, when David danced before the ark, I believe? Got to look back there. Yeah, it was. Verse 34. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Jachneum with its common land, Karta with its common land, Dimna with its common land, and Nahalal, Nahalal with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its common land, Jahaz with its common land, Kedemoth with its common land, and Maphath with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth, and Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Manaheim with its common land, Heshbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land, four cities in all. So all the cities of the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot twelve cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all these cities. Merari, the third guy, means bitter. It's a nice name to name your kid, bitter. Uh, actually, Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, which was a common name for young uh, Jewish ladies, uh, meant bitter, bitterness. So... Anyway, the Merarites were superintendents of the temple music. First Chronicles 6, 31 through 47. Uh, they also helped transport the ark, and they helped to repair and overhaul the temple under Hezekiah's leadership in Second Chronicles 29. Again, God's people, they took care of themselves after a while. They left the temple in disrepair. Hezekiah, you know, he had reforms, and he, and he, you know, under his leadership, they repaired the temple. And also, if you remember, King Josiah, you know, when he, um, you know, saw the law and all, and actually, he, because of his renovations and giving the money to renovate the temple, the, the uh, book of the law was found, and he tore his clothes and mourned. What a great guy he was. So uh, a lot of kings just let it add to the temple. You know, they just ignored it. But some of these good kings said, wait a minute, that's God's house. It's in disrepair. We can't leave it like that. So they were a part of that. Uh, the Merarites also, after the Babylonian exodus, they helped a post-exilic priest, Ezra, the book of Ezra, rebuild the spiritual condition of Israel. And you can see that in Ezra 8, 18 through 19. 43, last three verses. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. Talk about a happy ending. And if we just would follow God, <laughs> we would all have a happy ending. And you can see as the, the, the following of God waned and the worship of God waned, it became troublesome. And God said that right in the beginning. If you follow me and you follow my precepts, if you have that relationship with me, things will go well with you. It's a conditional statement. However, if you don't, if you go after false gods, if, you, if, we, if the, the relationship breaks, 
it's only going to mean trouble for you and your children, in a nutshell. So in this portion of Scripture, you see the, the land's pretty much been completely divvied up. The major strongholds have been decimated. And a sort of national rest takes place. All of God's promises have been kept, as he always keeps his promises. And the fulfillment of, the, of them are there for the taking. A lot of time God makes promises, and we have those promises. We can lay hold of those promises, but we just don't take those promises. And we saw that with the children of Israel. God says it's there for you, it's, it's yours for the taking. And oftentimes they didn't take it. So these two chapters you see mostly revolve, however, around the Levites. Uh, so what can we take in light of the Old Testament always pointing to Christ? Well, we talked about the unintentional killing and the protection in the cities of refuge. Without the cities of refuge, it meant death. We saw Jesus as our city of refuge, and again, it even says it in Hebrews 6.18. Um, many people see themselves as good, and therefore they should get to heaven, but they don't see the unintentional sins that they commit. People in the world, you know, I'm, I'm a good person, I do good deeds, but they don't see that even their unintentional sins. And in the Old Testament, the unintentional sins, okay, were, um, had to be covered for through the sacrifice, through the sacrificial system. But people don't see that even little, little sins or little white lies, anything that breaks the chain of God's perfect law is damnation. And people don't see it. So yet another angle to see Jesus, the need for Jesus as our, as our Lord and Savior. Again, we talked about the descendants of Levi, the priests and the Levites. These guys were in charge of all things spiritual in a nutshell. Sons of Levi were in charge of all things spiritual. All the rest of the, the 11 tribes looked to them in, a, in an essence to be taught for the sacrifices, for the whole system in a sense of worship. So, um, so what you see is the, they had control over the cities of refuge in addition as the protectors of life. And again, we see these men as precursors to Jesus. So there's where your Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. In Jesus, he has control over all things spiritual. He's the only way to true spirituality. And he is the only protector of our souls. Let's pray. All 